to me and to us at RevShop, we're thinking about the buyer experience as how do we meet the buyer where they are? How do we engage with them on the channels that they want? And more importantly, how do they want to interact with your brand? You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Josh O'Brien, co-founder of RevShop. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. How are you? Absolute pleasure. I'm great. Well, it's, it's kind of 28 degrees in the UK at the moment, so I'm surrounded by fans. I can see that you've got one above your head, but yeah, it's, it's nice and warm where we are, so nothing to complain about. Today, we will be talking about bio experience. Are you delivering the experience your buyer wants to receive? That's uh, that's good. You know, I, I can't wait to, to, to delve into that. But before we get into the conversation, uh, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself, Josh, but also most importantly, your company, RevShop? So what was the, the basis for co-founding the company uh, and, and what, what is it that you guys are doing right now? Sure. Yeah, so I'm one of the co-founders here and what RevShop does is we help enterprise companies scale on sales engagement platforms, specifically outreach and sales loft. And that's around operations, messaging, enablement, and really building centers of excellence and operating models to scale organizations on those platforms. So I've been using, funny enough, I was uh, working next to sales loft when sales loft was probably five employees in Atlanta Tech Village in Atlanta. So I've been watching them for, for a very, very long time. And then I got hired as one of the first sales hires at a company called Datanize, who eventually got bought by ZoomInfo, and we were one of Outreach's alpha customers. So been around those platforms for a long time, been a big fan, and, and really saw the potential of those things. And then when we got bought by ZoomInfo, my girlfriend and I sold all of our stuff, went and traveled, all of 2018, 337 days out of the country, 26 countries, um, and we were doing some consulting, and you know, we kind of just evolved into what it is, and we signed our first deal in July of 2018 in uh, a little Airbnb in Rome, Italy, and never looked back since then. That sounds wonderful. Well, it's a great story. I love the fact that you actually. Uh left everything behind when traveling. What a way to, to, to open up your, your, your horizon, you know, and, and, you know, it's probably the best thing you can do from an experience perspective. You may as well yeah. do it now. You did it during COVID as well, which is fantastic. Great timing. Yeah. So right, right before COVID <laughs> and you never, you think uh, you test your relationship, like living with a person, but try living with, you know, your girlfriend and spending 24 hours a day with them in, you know, foreign countries where you can't speak the language. So <laughs> tested a lot of a lot of my patients, tested a lot of our relationship, and a, a lot of growth came out of it too. So I'm very thankful that we got the opportunity to do it. So you are still together, I think it's we're still together and she's my business partner. So now we have business together to add one more complex relationship. Uh, yeah, so that's another layer of complexity. What's what's next, really? That's good. Well, it's great to hear. So, Josh, before we dive into the topic, uh, I just want to make a distinction between buyer experience and customer experience. Um, in the preparation of this episode, quite frankly and quite honestly, I would associate them as exactly the same thing. But after speaking with you, uh, I understand that they're impacting different stages of, of the sales cycle. So, would you want to get, just take a couple of minutes to clarify that to our audience and, and, and explain the difference from your perspective between buyer experience and customer experience? 
Yeah. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I think they, they tend to be synonymous and there's a lot of overlap between the two, but, you know, to me and to us at RevShop, we're thinking about the buyer experiences. How do we meet the buyer where they are? How do we engage with them on the channels that they want? And more importantly, like, how do they want to interact with your brand? How is your brand perceived by them? And we're thinking about that, you know, pre-sales. So, for example, we have forms on our website. If you come inbound, we have a channel communication preference. So some people like to be called. Some people like to be emailed. Some people like to be text. And I want to make sure that they're accommodated to do that. And I think a lot of companies don't think about things that way because we've had these historical marketing engines where it's just, hey, you come in, you get a form automatically sent to you by email, and then hopefully someone reaches back out to you. Versus the customer experience, you're already a customer. Buyer experience does play into that if you're trying to uh, you know, upsell or cross-sell or anything like that. But I'm thinking about customer experience more post-sales. You've already booked the revenue. Um, and that's what I think delineates the two of those. Okay. I think that makes perfect sense. So, so let's focus on the on the buyer experience here. Um, funny enough, I was listening to, to to a fair few podcasts recently, and you know, talking to a fair few clients, uh, and it seems that there is, a, I guess, a fair few company, maybe not who are over complexifying the sales process or the sales cycles, but you know, they are trying to put their reps and their A's in like some sort of cage where you've got to get a discovery call and then you need to do your demo and then you do this and that. And, and they try to format it in a way where it's like pretty much selfish from the sales cycle perspective versus the prospect perspective. And I guess we could almost say it, uh, we, we could almost call it insensitivity towards the, the experience of the buyer. So first of all, do you see a lot of companies falling in this trap? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just the, it's the nature of business, you know, and especially in America with capitalism, where I think a lot of companies are looking at people as numbers, you know, and a lot of sales reps are looking at people as numbers and not people. So I think it's easy to fall into the trap of this is the process and we need to fit our reps into this box and make something that's replicable and scalable. But to your point about it being insensitive to the person, who is going to buy or potentially buy your product, that tends to get thrown to the wayside because people are just looking at how many activities can I hit and how many emails can I get out to this person? How many times can I cold call? And how does that equate to revenue versus actually thinking about what the buyer is, who the buyer is, what their psychographic profile looks like, how they want to be engaged, what their preferences are and things like that. So I think a lot of companies fall into that trap. And I think I'm really loving the shift to the chief revenue officer position to revenue ops, really bringing marketing and sales together Yeah, because they've historically operated in these silos where marketing is saying, I need to get these MQLs. I need to get these marketing accepted leads and sales is like, I need to get these sales qualified leads. I need to book this revenue and they're comped on two completely different things. They have two completely different goals and there's no uniformity and there's no uh, collaboration across those teams, especially in larger organizations. So that's really what RevShop is helping to do. But it's beautiful to see this position come to light and CMOs move into a CRO position or a VP of sales move into a C- CRO position and really oversee everything from a revenue perspective and make sure 
that sales and marketing are super aligned, that the man programs from marketing are coming down to sales and to sales development, and everybody is speaking the same language, being very thoughtful and being very intentional about how they deliver that message and how they deliver their brand. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And, and do you, have you seen some, some example where potentially that kind of uh, rigid, robotic sales cycles of step-by-steps and 10 steps in the process and you do this and then you do that actually works? I think it works in theory. When you have the path and you know what the next step is, that's a great thing. Yeah. But those steps need to be malleable. To your point about being robotic, yes, the process is great but we can't follow the process 100% every time. You have to be able to be agile. You have to pivot. You have to think about, again, going back to the buyer experience, how are we going to engage this person? You know, I think it takes a lot of testing and it takes a lot of things that, you know, people either don't have the bandwidth to do, they don't have the expertise to do, you know, especially in outreach and sales loft, a very nascent technology. And it's just, you know, sometimes seen as this email automation platform, but there's a lot that goes behind it. You know, I think it, people don't think about the, how flexible these things need to be and how to coach their reps to say, this is when I go by the book and this is when I can color outside the lines. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know what I think? I think, I think if you are in a very commoditized, commoditized world, like your stuff is, is a commodity, people already have one and you're selling another one. Um, or if you are in a very low value, you know, what type, type of sales process or where you need a lot of velocity, I, I think having something like quite rigid and, and trying to get 100 reps, reps singing the same thing and at the same time and in, at unison and stuff does make sense because you can really measure and it doesn't really matter if you do the deal. But what, what I see with our customers, you know, probably a good 80, 90% of our customers are relatively disruptive. They have different buyer persona in the journey. And, you know, I think it's absolutely critical to adapt to that buyer persona and put the person, put the clients, put the prospect, shall I say, in the center of the sales process. You know, what do they want and how can you help them versus trying to push things at them? It's trying to let them ask you the question and pull, which is kind of linking me to my next question. Of course, every buyer is different and, and people like to be treated treated in different ways. Some some of them wants to go and get all their education done online. Some other will go to their network and whoever is give if they've got the same name straight time, they just buy you straight away. Some other would actually like to speak to a salesperson. I don't know how many are left, but maybe a few. Um, so so my question to you is how can companies ensure that they deliver the buyer experience that buyer the buyer actually want to receive? Yeah, so I think there's a couple things. One, the first thing on the marketing side, you know, going back to my example earlier in the conversation, ask on your forms, how do you want to be engaged? I think it tells you a lot about the person. It's going to tell your salesperson a lot about how that person wants to engage. I've run whole sales cycles just through text, and I've never sent an email until the proposal or the sale, right? Whereas others, you know, straight email. Others, I create Slack channels for, like, you just have to think about where these people want to live and you have to talk to your customers about this, especially if you, you know, only have a few, a few personas, or even if you have a lot of personas, but you know, in the beginning you have to start small and think about, I say psychographic profile a lot. So thinking about the psychology of the demographic that you have, 
So I always use the example of an IT person or an engineer, a network architect or something like that. They're getting hundreds of emails a day from network monitoring yeah. platforms, from CrowdStrike, from security, from everything. Like, good luck getting into their inbox, right? So not only thinking about the experience that they want, because they don't want more emails, they're probably on Reddit. They're probably reading blogs on Medium. But how do we break through the noise and get to them on other channels? And if you're going to email, like, email outside of business hours because they're burning midnight oil. They're probably coding. They're probably working the night shift, doing the security monitoring, stuff like, stuff like that. We've had tons of success, like, emailing people at midnight. And, you know, sometimes that pisses people off. But, you know, I'd rather rod on the, rod on the edge than, uh, you know, then color inside the lines in some cases. Yeah, I, I'd say that you really have to think about the the person, break down the personas, break down the profile. How do they live? What channels do they live on? What channels do they want to be engaged on? And then the next thing, thinking about, like, how do you incorporate that into a cadence or into a sequence based on those channels? And then you have to test those things, you know, and you get a big enough sample size, you take that data back, you analyze it, and then you shift. Throw stuff yeah. at the wall, figure out what works, and then keep moving. I agree with you. So would you would you see it almost like as a an algorithm of there is, you know, you, you speak to someone, you may have three options depending on how they want to receive the information or what the next step is from their perspective, etc. So it's actually asking the question. I like the I like the idea of filling up the form. In fact, I was reading a post about uh about uh well I won't mention the name but some some, some guys who was the CIO of uh, of uh, Red really large company here in the UK. And he was complaining about receiving calls. And, and, and one of the things that he mentioned is, look, most people just come and vomit pitches at me. And they don't even know what I know. They don't know, you know they don't ask me how, how I want to get the information. Um, and, and they could actually score, but they were to just ask me a few questions at the beginning to say, hey, look, you know, this is what I want to do. This is what I would like to convey. What's the best way to actually get the information? And in fact, you know, some of, some of the things that he was suggesting is potentially, you know, letting them speak to someone else in their team, but then keeping a, a, a line of contact with him and then coming back, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, really having the flexibility of feeling that you are not the prisoner of the sales process, uh, but, but also not being forced to have a discovery call if you actually want a demo. So, so I think, you know, I've heard a lot of prospects also speaking about unnecessary steps in the process. You know, yeah. saying, well, before we do the demo, we actually need to, to tell you about the solution because it's so complex. And when you say things like that, you actually make the prospect feel, feel like an imbecile, like, like, like an idiot. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, it's quite interesting to look at it from the prospect perspective and, and, and see what they hear what they, they've got to say. We, we have a couple of customers also that um, you know, have been scratching the back of their head um, because obviously everybody wants to build that revenue generation engine where you can say, hey, I've got a sales IP that's increasing my valuation or of great stuff. And we have a couple of customers who interestingly were, were running surveys with their prospect. So when people would get to the proof of concept or prior to the get to the proof of concept, they said, look, you know, obviously we won't move forward together, but we just wanted to do a survey about your experience. So be honest, you know, be candid about the things that you think we should we should ameliorate in the process. And I think that's a great initiative because I think when you do that sort of things, first of all, it shows a little bit of humility, but also it probably puts you in a position where if whatever the prospect is doing right now is not working, they probably remember you as the good person, right? And you probably leave a good taste in their mouths. 
it's 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 interesting. But if if you are the the let's say a BDR or or, or the AE the online AE who is taking those calls, how would you deal with it, Josh? I, I, what would you recommend for the for the salespeople who are listening today and they are probably a bit prisoner of that stuff? They've got their manager telling them that they should do it that way. They may feel sometimes that the the prospect doesn't want it. So what should they do? I come from fine dining for 11 years, and I'm always thinking about things from the customer's lens. That's what I've really tried to do. And, and when you come to work, you tend to leave your real personality at home, your authentic self at home. And you have to build trust in these relationships and you have to be authentic and you have to be yourself. And I think, you know, sometimes it's very difficult when you work for large organizations who, you know, have these rigid processes and things. But, you know, in, in general, usually when I get on a sales call, I ask, hey, why are we here? What do you want to take away from this call? And then we go through that. We make sure that everything's addressed that they wanted to hear. And then we finish off and you say, how do you want to buy? How do you normally buy? This is what I normally do, and this is what tends to work best. But you know your organization best. You know what you guys are trying to achieve. Tell me how you want to buy, and we can go down that direction. And these are the people that we probably need to speak to, and we can bring them in a room. I'll let you navigate that, and then like hands off from there. And I usually set up a Slack channel for them. It gives me instant access. It builds that bond because now we're, you know, if you're in Slack, you're in Slack with your company, with your colleagues, with people you know and trust. But now you're in a Slack with me, with someone that you don't know. And it kind of mimics that same trust, that same relationship. And I've found that to be, to be super helpful. Just create a new Slack channel, put the company's logo on it, invite them, Other people get involved, invite them too. I don't have to deal with email anymore. I have direct access to, to my prospects. We can have normal conversations like we're texting, like we're colleagues. And that really starts to build that trust and we get to move and accelerate a lot faster. But I run an enterprise sales cycle. You know, we sell to a lot of Fortune 500 companies. So it tends, it's going to be a little bit different when you have high velocity sales or, you know, a highly transactional product where, you know, you're just turning and burning. Yeah, no, that, 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 I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you, Josh. So, and I wanted to come back also to something that you mentioned earlier on. So earlier on, you were speaking about the, the different silos uh, in, in sales and marketing, marketing doing the MQLs and the sales guys, et cetera, et cetera. So really my question to you is, do you have any best practices to share on how to make sure that all those departments align to provide the best ex customer experience, or sorry, the best buyer experience in any stage of the funnel? Yeah, I, you just have to have open communication lines with everybody involved. I mean, typically our projects, we're talking to marketing, to demand gen, to marketing ops, to sales ops, to, you know, rev ops if they have it, salespeople, SDRs, IT, legal and compliance, all of these people who don't have visibility on, you know, in my case, Outreach or Sales Loft and, you know, other things like Vidyard and Sendoso and Lean Data and all these things. If you're in marketing, like you're living in Eloquois, you're living in Marketo, you don't really necessarily know or maybe even care about outreach because it doesn't matter to your, to your quota or your performance. But it really helps to bring everybody together at least once. I prefer weekly, but, you know, we're all wearing 25 hats and maybe we don't have the time. But you need to give visibility to people on what's happening and put it in a centralized place. If you have a BI tool and that's your source of truth for analytics, put it there. 
if Salesforce is your source of truth and you want to build a dashboard so you can give everybody, you know, one-click visibility, they log in, they see everything, great. Send that report out once a week. Keep everybody up to date. Let them know how many dormant contacts we have in our sales engagement platform that might not be making it back to marketing. Ops needs to fix that. They need to fix the connection, make sure they're getting back nurtured. Like You have to feed the people in your organization and, and empower them to do their jobs better and vice versa. So that's really a lot of what we what we focus on with the change management piece is breaking down those silos, bringing everybody to the organization. What do you care about? How are you comped? How do we make your life easier? Build that Venn diagram. There's going to be outliers. We'll get to them later. But like these are the core priority items that everybody cares about. So how do we streamline those technologies and that go-to-market strategy? Okay. So do you, so you do you believe that technology actually play an important part in the process? I I do. I think about this as, you know, a lot of companies, and it's not just sales engagement platforms, it's Salesforce, it's Marketo, it's whatever. The machine tends to run the man or woman and not the man or woman running the machine. And if you fall victim to that, it's very easy to get sucked into this universe where you're just, you know, mass blasting a bunch of your prospects and you're not thinking about this. You're just trying to hit your numbers. So Yeah, I mean, technology plays a huge part of that. And we think about wrapping the technology around what your sales process is. At the end of the day, we're all people, but we bought this technology to make us more productive and help us with our jobs. So how do we take these technologies and mold them around what you guys do and help enable you to sell better and you to deliver a better buyer experience? Yeah. Mm, I agree. I agree, Joshua. That we we we're getting towards the, the end of the of the conversation today. But it was was very insightful. So thank you so much for for all your input today. Um, if anyone wants to connect with you and and learn more about Revshop and, and potentially how you could help them, what's what's the best way to get in touch with you guys? Yeah, uh, Revshop on LinkedIn, Revshop.com, R-E-V-S-H-O-P-P-E.com. Uh, I'm always open to chat. You can find me on LinkedIn, Josh O'Brien, <laughs> or you can follow my travels on Instagram, the OB Trice, T-H-E-O-B-I-E-T-R-I-C-E. So there's a rapper, uh, OB Trice. He was in D12. My last name is O'Brien. So I just ran with that. And, uh, that's what all my friends call me. And it's been my name since, I don't know, for 17 years, probably now. The OB Trice. I found you, Josh O'Brien. There it is. You can see a beautiful picture of the uh, the Italian. I can see a beautiful picture of you, but I'm not in yet. I've, I've requested you, so now we will see if we are social friends or not. You know, if you never accept me, I'll, I'll remember that forever. <laughs> <laughs> Take the podcast down if I don't accept you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was good, though. So th thanks for that, Josh. I think it was it was useful. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>